how will the world meet growing energy demand while reducing emissions? What technology, human capital, policy, and education is needed to make the energy transition a reality? What are the myths and hard truths about all forms of energy, our environment, and our economy? The Voices of Energy sets out to explore these questions with the people at the heart of making these changes a reality. We'll go from conversation to application by focusing on actionable strategies that will drive the world and our industry into a new era. I'm Katie Maynard, founder and CEO of Ally Powered by Pink Petro, and this is the Voices of Energy. Learning to lead with the lens of equity. The term ally is often used as we begin to align our hearts and actions with oppressed and marginalized communities. But what does being an ally look like in action, especially at work? Shantara Chapman is a dear friend, an ally coach, and a part of our academy, and president of Power Consulting. Um, we've known each other now for 20? Is it 20 years? Close to 20. We're getting there. We're getting old. (laughs) Getting old. No, mature. She has closely observed allies in action, benefited from the effort of an ally, and has assumed roles as an ally herself. And through her varied experiences, she has developed a framework, a transformational allyship framework that we can leverage as a guide to activate commitment to equity. So today... Shantara will empower us to harness our energy, and we will take intentional steps to position ourselves as collaborative partners. We'll review ways and places we can be most helpful and how, with continued and impactful effort, we can transform ourselves into cultural leaders. So I want to welcome you to the program and very excited to have you today to be having such a timely discussion about leading with the lens of equity. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. And I know since this is not your first meeting, you're kind of warmed up and you're ready, but I'm excited to have this conversation. A lot of times, you know, allyship and when you talk about allyship, diversity, inclusion, people kind of have a stigma about it. So I I want to be able to, you know, kind of hopefully open some eyes to a conversation that could be difficult, but at times, you know, very, um, comfortable, more comfortable than most people think if they just put in a little bit of the work in the forefront. So I'm excited about today. Well, great. I'm excited too. And I know what we will do is we have a couple of questions that we've prepared to talk about some topics to talk about. And then you and I are going to explore experiences, as we call them, black and white experiences and looking at a different lens through a trusted relationship, which is something we have. And so I think you all are up for a great treat today. We want to encourage everyone to ask questions. We want to encourage you to participate. This is not a two-way conversation. We want to make sure people feel included. But let's get straight into this and start tackling these questions. So baseline, what does it mean in your mind to be an effective ally within an organization? So I think an ally is this a highly evolved person that knows how to navigate diversity, equity, inclusion, but knows how to do it with accountability, authenticity, and has a skill set that kind of allows them to show strength in the area. So really being able to just kind of cross cultures smoothly and authentically. That's what I think an ally is. And that's what it means within an organization to be able to just work with 
whatever you get, whatever team you have, how they differ, all of those things, and being able to figure out a way for them to come together and work together. Uh, They may not agree all the time, but at the same time, they respect one another. So that ally is that leader that allows people to uh, be themselves and at the same time knows how to hold everyone accountable for who they say they are and what they say they're bringing to the table. Great. No, I think that's great. A lot, you know, you and I were very fortunate last week. It was a bit of an exhausting day. I think we both agreed. Spent 90 minutes talking about allyship and inclusion and equity at a Shell Town Hall with U.S. employees from all over. We had, I think, 1,200 people. And then, you know, one of the first questions people asked was, can we define what we really mean by this this word? What does it mean? Because it means so many things to different people. And so I think it's important when we look at a topic like this, we really get a baseline understanding, right? And in this industry, everyone's technical. So we want all of the details, right? But as you know, this is a soft topic. It's really difficult to have these conversations, right? What does an ally look like? What does an ally look like in a world with social injustice? We'll get into that. But I think it's good that we put a baseline out there. So one of the things I'll ask folks on the line to do is, why don't you throw out your definition of an ally in the chat? I'd love to see what your definition of an effective ally means in the workplace. And as we get you warmed up, we'll get into our next topic. And that is, okay, how do we engage in these conversations around inclusion, equity, and advocacy? I mean... These are some scary times, right? Whether you're on the left or the right or in the middle. And so I said to myself, I said, it's so hard having these conversations. And we're having these conversations like this without being in a room, you know, being on a screen, right? It's very awkward. How do you engage in effective conversations around this, particularly during COVID? I would say carefully, (laughs) but also honestly, A lot of times, and I've gotten a lot of questions from people saying, how do I just reach out to my colleagues, especially being, like you said, we're during a pandemic, we're remote. How do you reach out and how do you have conversations? And the reason why I say carefully is because if you haven't spoken to that person in the past, if you don't have, as you mentioned, a trusted relationship it's going to be very difficult to have these types of conversations because what we're talking about are not conversation starters. (laughs) They could definitely be things that make people uncomfortable and those who are willing to share may be sharing, you may be asking them to share something that's very deep and very sensitive and personal. So if you haven't done the work to build the trust, I would say that's your first step. You have to really want to be able to engage and in order to engage you have to have a trusted relationship. If you don't, I would say, you know, you may want to stay steer clear of having these types of conversations where you're trying to ask about experiences and things of that nature. And then also, if you have a relationship with someone and you're trying to navigate that conversation, I would say extend yourself a little grace Mm -hmm. and them because they may not be ready and they may say no. And you have to be okay with that, but also be okay with you not knowing what to say. (laughs) Also be okay with you just saying, I'm here to listen if you want me to listen. Mm -hmm. Give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you have to have all the answers because they don't. We don't. And so we want to just make sure that everything is open and honest from the very beginning. 
Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you brought this up, this conversation of race. You know, after George Floyd this summer, we had six hours of conversations with various folks in energy, the Black community. And I found myself as a facilitator, worn, tired. And by the way, I'm not Black or Brown, right? And so when we had that conversation, I remember thinking how hard it must be, right, to be, like you said, being approached and getting questions. And so I think it's great that we have that curiosity. I think it's great that we establish these conversations, right, and we establish these trusted relationships. But we really are living in a weird world. We're not living in a world where we can go and have coffee and build those trusted relationships. We're having to use technology. We can't see really what people are thinking or feeling, right? And so that's a bit of a barrier to being able to lead with this lens. So that's something that I think everyone needs to be aware of. So I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so we had a couple of a couple of things in the chat here. So allyship is Colleen Watson says, and hello, Colleen. I've got your back. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. Andrea says, someone who is ruthlessly self-aware and stands up for others or for and empowers others. I really like that definition. And then Jennifer Walsh, hello, Jennifer, says, being an empathetic listener, be heart-centered in your approach and what you do. Support others, even if you haven't walked in their shoes and do your best to understand their journey. That's such an important piece that you bring up, Jennifer. Empathy. That's empathy. And so that is really important. So I'm curious, since I've asked you this question about how do we engage, I'd love to hear from our audience as well. How are you engaging in these conversations? Um, We'd love to hear from you. And maybe you aren't, and that's okay. Maybe you're here because you want to learn how to think about how to go about that or how to have those kinds of, of conversations. So my last question before we get into the real meat of the bone here is what kind of strategic plans can be created to lead a more inclusive organizational environment, right? So culture, practices, and policies. What kind of plans should we be creating? I like simple stuff. (laughs) I like the because if you make it really complicated, that increases your chances of people not following through, right? So in my workshops and when I do things with the Transformative Ally Framework, we talk about a growth plan. I'm from energy technology, so there's always an acronym, right? So G-R-O-W, and some people may have even heard of it, but G is for your goals, R is for reality, O is options, and W is for willingness. And so what I like to tell people is, think about what it is you're planning to do. So it could be, I want to start reaching out more. I want to have a, you know, better conversations with my colleagues, all of them, you know, all different cultures, but definitely really want to hone in on what's been going on with this racial injustice. You want to sit down and these are things that you can do by yourself. You don't have to plaster them on the walls unless your team wants to do one together, but say, what's my goal here? Why do I want to do it? Is it really just because it's a social media thing right now? Or Mm -hmm. is it because I am personally curious and I realize that I have not been doing what I need to do? Is it personal or is it, you know, just about business? And again, it doesn't have to be plastered on the wall. So you're just being honest with yourself, right? And then the reality of the situation, I've never talked to her before. I've never talked to Sharon before. I've never talked to Jim before. I really need to do better. That's your reality. 
And then what are my options? Because we are so remote, some people are remote, some people are starting to go back into the office. Do I want to try to have a face-to-face? Do I want to wait until we're we're in the office? Or do I want to start initiating these conversations via Zoom? Do I want to start trying to ask some of these questions now? And then W, what am I willing to do? Because if you're not willing to get uncomfortable, it's going to be very difficult to move this thing forward because the conversations are going to get uncomfortable. You're not going to know how to feel afterwards. So you have to let yourself know what your boundaries are. And that's where that willingness comes into play. What am I willing to do? So for me, I like putting that initially as the first plan is kind of your growth plan, your team growth plan, or your personal growth plan. And that will lead to all of the different strategies that you want to put in place for the company's sake. You know, it's interesting when I think of this time of year, Thanksgiving, you know, this you're in energy. And we talked about this last week with a large audience at Shell. We actually talked about leading with a lens of equity in the energy transition, right? So here are two really sticky topics, the energy transition, which I don't know about my fellow oil and gas friends, but every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, sitting around the table with my non-energy people and all I want to do is talk about how political energy is, right? And why are you working in this industry? And why, you know, why do you do this? And why do you do that? So, you know, in the energy industry, we have some crucial conversations to have around allyship. One is we obviously need a more equitable workforce. We're dead last when it comes to all of it. I mean, I'm tired of the studies. I'm tired of every every year there's a new study published and the data is the same, right? We've got to move the needle. But the other side to this sticky conversation is, you know, we have all these forms of energy and instead of seeing the world in a individualistic view, we need to be looking more at balance and why we need balance, right, in our energy transition. So it was such a fascinating conversation we had last week about equity from a people perspective and equity from a planet perspective, right. which is why I think you and I went home and literally slept for 16 hours because we were exhausted after this conversation. It was great, rich conversation, right? Yeah. Rich conversation that had to be had about two things that live on a married index. And so, and of course we didn't get to have that conversation alone. We brought along a great shell male leader who got in the ring with us and we had a good conversation about it, but it's so important to have discussions, not just read headlines, not just read the news, right? Seek the truth. And the truth is this, right? Right. Yeah, no, thank you for these comments. I want to thank folks on LinkedIn who are commenting about this. You know, allyship is having someone's back and also standing up for you when you are weary and have to sit for a while. Yep. I like that. I like that. I like that because we all have that, those times. We all have those times when we're just like, okay, I just need to be still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked about what does it mean to be an ally? Mm -hmm. We've talked about how to engage in conversations and what to be prepared for. And then we've talked about, you know, plans. Let's get into what I call exploring experiences, which is a way to model how to have a really fruitful conversation. So we've known each other for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, We met through a women's group, surprise, surprise, (laughs) many years ago. I remember bringing my young daughter, Allie, to meet you because our birthdays are within a few days of each other. And we have Mm -hmm. a, a birthday celebration every year. And we would meet for lunch and we just kind of got to know each other. And 
It's only when you earn and, you know, spend time with someone you trust, you can feel like you can have a wide range of discussions, right? So from football rivalry, you are an Aggie and I am an LSU Tiger. And that's enough about that. Uh, <laughs> we're both Texans fans. We're both pretty upset about that. Um, they stink right now. But those kinds of conversations to the ways of the world, friendships, and ultimately having conversations around how you are different you know, than I. And I've never lived in your shoes. I've always tried to see you for who you are, you know, through my lens, which is Shantara. But I'm making an assumption here that many of my fellow colleagues who are like me, who look like me, have those friends that you can talk about those things with. And if you don't, this is why you're here, right? But Shantara and I have always been close. But this year we got especially closer. And it was just before the George Floyd situation, you know, uh, murder, where we talked about getting together, doing something together. I was explaining how Ally was evolving. Anyway, I remember thinking, gosh, all this stuff happened. And I immediately wanted to run to you and to the many people I know to say, what can I do? What can I, how can I help? And I will never forget you, you know, you wrote a post on our website and I went to go read the post and it talked about a time when you had your tires slashed. And as your friend, I called you and said, did this really happen? And you said, what? I said, said yes. <laughs> and you see, for me, I never would have thought my friend Shantara, who's black and educated, drives a nice car, mm-hmm. lives in a really nice neighborhood, would ever have her, her tires slashed. And that whole experience early in your career shaped the way you saw things because I believe it was something that happened at work, right? Yes. So you want to talk about this? I know this is kind of a crazy example, but you know, people hear these stories and they go, oh, that could have never happened, right? But really yeah. it did. It, did. it really did. It, it really did happen. And it happened in like maybe 2002, somewhere in there, 2002, 2003, because I had not been married very long. And my husband was active duty. He was away. And here I am at home trying to, you know, be the new the new wife and taking care of uh, my new stepkids that had just moved in the house. And I'm telling them how great it was to move from Georgia with their mom to Houston with the new mom, right? Or the new stepmom. And this craziness starts to happen. And I worked in a gated community. I get, I worked in a facility that was locked down. You only were able to go in there with the card key, you know, the whole nine. And you sign in with the security guard, all of that. And to come outside, and I was working night because we were doing some phone calls with Japan and different countries. And so I came out to find my brand new car on flat. And at first, I didn't think anything like bad happened. I was like, oh, my God, I ran over some some glass or we just got this car. How is it on flat? You know, there were all of those types of things. Right. And so someone helped me to switch into the spare on one tire and the other tire was kind of low. But it was it was I lived close enough that I kind of slowly drove home. And I remember calling my husband saying something's crazy happening. And he said, take the car in. Let them tell you in the morning. And the guy asked me, you know, where was my husband? And it kind of threw me aback. I was like, why do you need to talk to my husband? You know, I kind of got attitude. (laughs) But he was like, because I just pulled and he opened his hand and there were so many razor blades that he'd taken out of my tires. And he said, this was done intentionally to you. I need to call the cops. 
And I just froze. I didn't know what to think at that point. So, so now I'm wigged out. And long story short, I ended up going back to the office and I was told very clearly that that was intentional. I was told that the men that I worked for thought that I was being too uppity and I needed to be put in my place. That I made them uncomfortable by having a nice car. I was a young Black girl and I needed to find another way to get to work without making them feel bad. Wow. And you know, when I read that, when I read that story, I remember I picked up the phone and I was like, really? <laughs> and, and, and because we don't see, we see what we see. We don't experience things until we share experiences. And the reason we're having this conversation, you're like coming to this thinking, oh, I'm going to learn, you know, from A to Z, how to do this, how to do this, how to do this. We talked about the framework, you know, we talked about kind of the three core things, but the element of seeing the world differently mm-hmm. is sharing experiences. And that means lots of socialization. It means lots of hearing. It means imagining, right? It means listening to the story and trying to see it through your eyes because we all have a filter. We all have a filter. And I have a number of other African-American friends that I've heard story after story, of course, now since Floyd in recent years. Obviously, social media was not what social media is today. I think in 2002, we were still pre-YouTube and Facebook. And so I can only imagine, you know, and I can't. This is the thing. I can't, right? And one of the things last week, I think, you know, Jason said in the session we had at Shell was, "I I can't see this. And so I need you to help me see it, right? I need to listen and learn. Right. And that takes socialization. It takes time, which today we're really good at headlines and not going deep. And so I just think that it's, it's interesting to hear these things, you know? So when you, you told me that not too long ago, I remember thinking, really? I mean, really? And even now, I mean, I have to have you you know, talk about it over and over again, but that helps me think about how many other Shanteras have been through this. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, you know, even after I was told what I was told about the situation, you know, being put in my place to hold nine, I had to continue working. I was still working. And I would think you, you wouldn't know that it was happening, just like you didn't know because I didn't say anything to you during that time or, you know, even once we first met and all of that, I didn't say anything about it. I just, we had to put on, you know, I felt like I needed to put on a different face and do my job, which is what a lot of Black people do often, especially now. You know, when we think about George Floyd and all of that, some of us still went back to work, right? After seeing it on, on the internet and all over the place, we're still working. But inside, we may be whimpering. Inside, we may be just kind of wanting to scream. And so that's the type of thing that I think these trusted conversations help with. Because you even told me, you were like, I can't imagine how you felt, how you're still feeling, even having to say it. Because there's still something that kind of gets conjured up in me when I tell the story. But at the same time, there's two, two sides to this. Because you don't, I don't know you know, what you may have gone through or what it triggered for you. And I know that you have had some situations as well, especially some crazy ones these days about poop and sex trolls and all of those things. And so it's like, 
how do you just the same way you asked me, how did I deal with that? You were dealing with some things of your own as well that a lot of people may not have known about either. No, I think we all live a very, I said this once after Harvey, because if you know me, you know, Mm -hmm. we lost the house and it was a big loss for us, but everyone is dealing with some sort of private hurricane every day, no matter who you are, no matter the color of your skin, we are all uniquely going through some sort of challenge. And it's interesting because when we had this conversation preparing for this and you, you and I were talking about my situation. So this summer, for those of you who don't know, about a year ago, I came out in defense of Vicki Holland. She is an amazing leader, someone, the first oil and gas U.S. president, right? American president of a company. She took a risk and I defended her. I said, you know, let the lady lead. Give her the chance, right? Uh, many of you know this business is very boom bust. Mm-hmm. And so the trolls came after me. You know, all of a sudden, it we this became a feministic, you know, feminist thing. Well, just before our fifth birthday, I was at the office and I got a present, a sex toy. I've had dog poop put in my mailbox. Now, all, all of you are going, oh, is that possible? Sure, it's possible. In the age of inappropriate behavior, in an age where we're creating, right, more division, we should expect that crazy things are going to happen, right? So, but what really put me over the line was someone decided to take out a website address, bluepetro.org. If you try to go to it, it was taken down. But we have a post on our website where I decided to take down the trolls. I just, normally you don't respond to trolls. You don't respond to people, right? You're not supposed to respond to people who harm you. Because all that does, right, is it, it just festers the, at least that's what my father told me. Don't, you know, you sometimes you got to swing back at the enemy, right? Or you swing back and you you, you fight for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I was beside myself. I mean, there were all these comments about racial comments, immigration comments. I mean, it was whoever put this thing together, this blue petro site. It was a parody. Thought it was really funny, and I didn't. So I took screenshots. I did what you know. I was kind of like a Karen. I think that's what the internet called me. I was Karen or whatever. I was, you know, I was blabbing about it. And so I said, I said, this is wrong. And when trolls, you know, come after you, they intentionally, unintentionally elevate you. And I had no idea, but this thing gets to the press. The press calls me, does a story. My name with poop and my face is all over the internet. And I'm thinking, great, my daughter one day is going to like Google mom and see Poop and Katie Maynard, right? (laughs) The point being that it's unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable until it's real, until it's real and it's personal. And everyone on this, you know, here has a story where they've been treated poorly, where they've had something about themselves, right, that they maybe didn't want to share because it wasn't socially accepted, right? And so I think the importance, though, of this conversation is that we have to have these conversations in order to understand, you know, what's happening, right? And we have to stop saying, is that possible? And saying, it's very possible because it happened, right? It was an experience. And so culture, if we try to tie this back to, you know, we talked about culture is shaped by experiences, beliefs, and behaviors. So the more experiences we have, right, like this, the more they shape our beliefs and the more they can shape behavior. 
you know, you and I did a lot of change management work in the industry, and this is all the same stuff. You know, if we want to get people to work smarter or safer, we would have people talk about safe work, right? And we would have talk people think about, you know, their work. But that took time and it took a lot of these kinds of conversations, crucial conversations in order to get people, you know, to move the needle forward in terms of culture. Right. And the one thing that I would, you know, even, you know, add to what you just said about culture being shaped by experiences and having these types of trusted conversations is when people are sharing doing your best not to try to come up with a story to out, you know, out exploit theirs, you know, when sometimes, and I have found myself in situations where I would share something, you know, just like you just asked me to share the story uh, that happened about the tires being slashed. And someone will just say, I've had people say to me, well, that was just then. Let me tell you what just happened to me, you know? And so they flipped it and it made it about them. And so we have to be careful to ensure that we are asking, the, like I said, what's your goal here? Are you as, are you doing this for you? Is this a selfish thing? Or are you really trying to learn something from someone? Because if you're really trying to learn from their experiences to kind of help to make your culture more richer, you want to kind of listen and try to listen to understand their perspective. You want to be able to add color to what you may have already thought. And you, so in order to do that, you have to be quiet more. You have to resist the urge to one up that person or resist the urge, like you said, to say, did that really happen? You know, or try to in any kind of way insist that it may be over-exaggerated because what I just shared was definitely not over-exaggerated. Actually, it was watered down. There are so many other pieces to it because it's my truth and no one can tell me that my truth did not happen. So we have to be careful with that, especially if we're going to have these types of conversations. Absolutely. And I wanted to make a comment. Someone said here, I won't reveal who, it just said, this is horrible, but I believe it. My family had a cross burned in our front yard when we moved to the South because we were Yankees. Uh I'm white. So so it's interesting, right? (laughs) We're all listening to that story. And then I say, I'm white. And everybody goes, huh, really? It's all about the little details of the experience. It's the stuff below the, the, you know, the iceberg. So has anyone seen the iceberg model for diversity? Definitely. I love it. Love it. I learned this stuff when I was at Shell. You know, they taught us the iceberg. And then it was all the stuff you didn't see. And this was some some early learnings I got. It was like, hey, you should really know more about your colleagues. Many years ago, I had Pakistani folk on my team, right? I was managing Malaysians, Pakistani, all just people all over the world. And I went into the diversity office and I asked for some what we had, uh, culture grams, in fact, I saw that Wayne Shelton was on earlier. He was one of the leaders at Shell when I was there and was in the diversity practice. Anyway, I'd go in and I'd say, before I went to another country, I'd say, can you pull me just some data and information on local customs? You know, it was really nice to kind of have that as a resource. It was so fascinating after watching the media for years and hearing these things about foreigners as a U.S. citizen, getting on a plane and going and meeting them and realizing we have so much more in common, right, than we have that's different. And so we have got to stop listening to the things that are around us 
and create experiences, one-to-one experiences, right? Like this. So thank you for that comment. Andrea, I'm going to read some comments from the web. I imagine every one of us has experienced it firsthand, observed it happening, or at least know someone who has experienced this type of treatment. Thank you, Shantara, for sharing. You are strong and formidable. To keep working, putting on a different face to keep showing up, and having the mask is exhausting. Yes, it's exhausting. Like, beyond anything that I, I think this pandemic has made me realize just how exhausting it is to keep putting on a different face, to keep sharing and going forward and to keep moving forward. I was watching, I, I don't know how many people are This Is Us fans, but I, This Is Us premiered yesterday and they had a piece of this in the story because they, you know, attack a little pandemics. Wait, and wait, wait, this is us. Tell the us show. about This Is Us. This, this, this is, is Us. Show. This show on NBC, I believe. And it's about a family of twins, triplets. Two of them are actual, you know, twins from the mother. And then one Black man played by Sterling K. Brown, he was adopted that same day. So they are this big three, three twins born on the same day, the whole nine. And they were raised as, you know, brother and sister, no issues, no problems. But the one issue was that Sterling always felt a little bit different. And now that he's an adult, he has his own family. He's dealing with George Floyd and all of these things. And they added it to the storyline in their premiere where his sister, who's a white woman, I think her name is Christy Metz. She she was texting him during all of this time saying, what can I do and who can I donate to? And he never responded to her text. And so they met up on their birthday. And she was like, hey, what's up? You never, you know, responded. And he he just basically said he was tired. He's like, this is exhausting. I didn't respond. And there was this conversation that kind of ensued afterwards where he explained, you know, I've had to put on a strong face for you guys. Black people have been killed for years, 40 years of living in the house with you guys. And we never talked about it. Not once. And he's like, so, you know, I'm just tired. I'm just exhausted. And he told her, I hate to see you cry because she was crying. He says, but if I hug you and tell you it's okay, how is it, what is it going to do for me? How is that going to feel for me trying to make you feel better? And I just burst into tears. It was like a 45 second thing on TV. And I just cried like a baby. And I was like, that's it. I'm so busy hugging everybody else, making everybody feel better, putting on a different face. And sometimes I just get tired and I just don't want to do it again. And I don't want to do it anymore. And that is exactly what it feels like constantly because people want you to still, you know, be the friend that you are and help them get through it. But who's helping us get through it? We're having to go home and figure it out on our own. Because it doesn't end. You'd asked me a question when we were talking with Shell last week was, you know, is this going to continue or is this just a trend for social media? And I said it's already fading because people are starting to focus on work more. They're focused on the election, but they're not thinking about that George Floyd's family is still dealing with this. Breonna Taylor's family is still dealing with this. We are still dealing with this. Our mourning never ends because the hashtag gets stale. And so it's just, it just gets tiring and exhausted to have so many masks and you're not even at Halloween. That's such a good statement. 
It's very scary what you think about losing this focus. Because mm-hmm. when I think about it from the lens of equity and what we could do for our world, yep. think about it. Think about it. Like the best case for equity and diversity is our transition to this new economy, right? A new economy with that doesn't leave the old behind, right? But that brings people together. I mean, the everybody on this call knows the fundamental basics of energy. Energy runs our economy. It runs, it's the existence of life. I watched, so speaking of watching, and I'm going to put that one down. So I got to go and find how I can maybe rewind and hopefully it's, 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 it's uh, I'm still learning streaming because I'm not a big TV person, but obviously the pandemic has changed that. The History Channel is such a fascinating place. It talked about the food industry, talked about these capitalists, right? The many of them, well, all of them, white men, right? Who built the American economy, who built the American dream. And this was 150 years ago. And oil and natural gas, right? Coal, right? Got us to where we are. And if you look at where we are, our society is full of color, full of ideas, full of talent, just alive and vibrant, right? huge opportunity for us to take race, gender, sexual orientation, incarceration. Oh my gosh, how many different things am I probably missing, right? Disability, you know, folks with disabilities or abilities, right? Everybody has a different way to talk about it. And pump that into that next era for our children, right? And the next generation, you know, I mean... We talk about progress. Progress is made with energy, taking people, you know, lifting people out of poverty, of which many black and brown people are in poverty. They are also in areas, right, that are affected by pollution. We're not afraid to talk about this anymore because it's a fact, right? So it's kind of like, how can we take this? It's a married index. Take race, take gender, take people that are different, and bring them into this next era. And I think it's exciting. It get, Of course, it gets me up every day and I get so excited and we talk about it, you know, but we're not there. We have so far to go, but to just to talk about these things, to be able to have these conversations, to be able to have these conversations about things that quite frankly, I'm sorry, 20 years ago when I entered the workplace, it was like, here's the pantyhose, got to wear the pantyhose, got to turn up like this. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about your beliefs. You show up at the door, you do a job, you go home. Right. right. So, and I'm white. I have one mask, right? Go to work, come home. Black and brown folk have been wearing masks since the beginning of time, right? In addition to how I need to be at work versus how I need to be at home. Today, we don't have that because social media is breaking down this wall. And that's why we see all this, this tension. I agree with you. I'm so worried that it's going to fade. And I think that's why it's important as leaders irrespective of what's going on around us, because the people are going to resist this, right? Governments are going to resist change. You know, people are going to resist change. But if you look at it, the markets are saying, the market, which is all of us, is saying, we need to start shifting this, right? We need to start having this co- these conversations. We need to start including people of color, right? We need to start listening to them. So one of the questions I have in here is, Shantara, is it appropriate to even share another story when someone shares a story like your tire slashing with you? Or should we just listen and pause? I think we are taught to empathize by relating shared experiences. But if we are white women, we don't 
we really don't completely relate. Need to work to not fill the silence. I like that. I like that, Christine. Yeah, because you should be comfortable in the silence and in the pauses because even if if you don't relate, don't try to come up with a story that relates to it. Just, you know, I've had people say, thank you for trusting me with that information. Thank you for sharing it with me. I would have never known, you know, or something like that. Let them just share because if you are going in and this is a legitimate listening session, you know, just listen. I've had people call me and say, I just want to talk to you, anything you're willing to share with me about. And then they'll say X, Y, or Z. I feel like I didn't know, I don't know a lot about what's happening with with the police. I didn't know it was that bad. I've had blinders on. Have you had any experiences, you know, since I've known you that, you know, you've had a run-in with police or something like that? And I will share and they will just listen. They didn't have anything extra they wanted to add. It was, thank you for sharing it. I didn't know. And then there may have been a conversation about were we not trusted enough friends to get to that point? And I have to be clear and say, hey, again, it's not about you. It is really about, you know, the fact that I didn't feel comfortable sharing. And until I'm comfortable sharing, you know, you're probably not going to hear about it. Or we don't have that type of relationship where I'm talking to you about these types of things, you know, so on and so forth. But being very clear So I would say to that person, just be comfortable in the silence of it. Because if you have a trusted relationship with someone, they're not going to expect you to try to come back with another story. They're going to be like, okay, she calls, she cares enough to just want to hear what I'm feeling. And it may be that you're finished after. You may be like, I need to process this. Or they may say, I need to get off the phone or get off the Zoom. Let's talk again later. It just depends on how deep the wounds go. But just be comfortable in it. Don't feel like you have to fill the space. Very much like they tell you with negotiations, right? Put it on the table and just be comfortable. Sit in that uncomfortable place because on the other side of discomfort is the change. So once you get comfortable with being discomfort or uncomfortable, it'll start to get better. And the conversations will probably get a little bit more natural after you've had one or two. And you'll know when you can feel that space. You'll know when you can start to share your experiences. If you have legitimate experiences to share, by all means. I mean, Katie, when you and I were talking uh, a couple of days ago, we were sharing back and forth. It was a, you know, you tell me, I tell you kind of thing. But then there was a point where you just asked a couple of questions and you just let me share. Well, I remember some of those questions. I mean, questions that we had seven pages of questions in the first six hours I did with Gordy Bannister and the ladies that wrote the book, The Energy Within Us. So plug for the book. Go check it out. Five fantastic African-American women who have blown it out of the water when it comes to energy. But And then in our 90-minute conversation, 100 questions, right? Getting And by the way, that's what was getting filtered, you know, to me. And I remember thinking... This is exhausting as a facilitator. I'm trying to read, see where there's themes to try and, you know, uh, create meaningful questions. Some of these questions, things probably not ready to broach, but great questions, very insightful, you know, to see where people's mindsets were. I'm actually, to be honest with you, this is probably the most meaningful work I've done ever in my life because... I'm getting to learn about something that is completely foreign to me, 
but also saying, like you said, having grace. I think last week there was a period where there was a there was an acronym I didn't understand. And I finally just said, okay, for the dummies in the room like me, because I'm being, I'm going to be ignorant and say, you know, do I call you a person of color? Do I call you black? Do I call you African-American? Do I call you African, right? What do I call you? Because there's even such a, there's a language around this that people don't even know what's appropriate to say, right? And and you said, well, it's good to ask. And you went through that whole, you know, scenario where we just literally, we took questions that I think were on people's minds and we just took them one, one, you know, one by one. And we also walked out of there and said, we're not going to fix this today, but it's a good start. It's, it's all a process. And this is the kind of stuff that I'm excited about is going into organizations and having a town hall, right? Where we see what's on people's minds. They're actually putting their thoughts to words. And those words, you know, can create a dialogue. Yeah, because I think we get caught up in the the names and the titles of what things are. You know, when you hear diversity, equity, and inclusion, and now these days even allyship, people tend to tense up. They're like, okay, here's these hard conversations where people are going to start blaming this group or blaming that person and on and on. No, that's not what it is. It should be about culture. It should be about experiences. And I like to even tell people when they ask me about my my framework, I tell them that transformative ally framework is changing organizations one experience at a time. Because I try to stay away from the labels because we're people. You know, it's not a political issue. It's not a, you know, all of these different things. It's a people issue. And as someone who started out doing some change management work, you know, there's the people side of things. There's the technology side of things, right? And you want to focus on the people side, right? You want to make sure that your people are comfortable in whatever change is coming forward. So this is the same type of work, just like you said earlier. It's the same thing, except for now we're saying, okay, It's a cultural piece. We need to make sure that all of the people feel included in the culture. The words that we have on the wall about how we explain our culture, does it include everybody? If it doesn't, what do we need to do? We need to take the words off the wall or we fix the people in the room. And that's where this comes in. These types of conversations come in, not being worried about if it's fitting into some bucket or checking off some box. It is Let's try to learn from these people, because if we think about it, I grew up in a neighborhood that didn't have a lot of money. I grew up where I was labeled at risk. And if I would have focused on that at risk part, I would have stayed in the same place. If I would have let them continue to label me, I would have stayed in the same spot and may not have been where I am today. Had I listened to that elementary principal who told me that I was going to be nothing and that she couldn't wait to see me fail... I would still be in that same in the same neighborhood, not moving forward, not trying to be the change that I want to see. So if we get rid of the labels and stop looking at the top of the iceberg and focus on what's at the bottom that requires us to interact, things get better when you do it that way. When you focus on it being a cultural issue or a people issue versus a diversity, inclusion, equity, political, on and on and on. That's when things get complicated because like they have to choose sides. Of course. And, you know, right now there's a big debate about words Words. and 
presidential orders and, you know, international agreements, you know, and, and it's a difficult time. We live in a very difficult time, but I think that having these conversations are important to create, like you said, the culture we want. If we hear we can't, well, we won't. If we have these conversations, like you said, be awkward in the moment, be okay with how this feels, which it doesn't always feel right or doesn't feel comfortable, we'll move towards, you know, creating that culture that's a reality. So I want to make sure everybody knows Shantara. Shantara is on LinkedIn. I want you to go and connect with Shantara, but I also want to make sure you guys are aware something we did today and something that that Shantara and I and others are working on. If you go to our site, and hopefully you can see this, you can learn more about what we do. We've expanded our offering. So people keep saying, what's Pink Petro? What's Ally? Well, let me tell you what it is. Ally is that community for the energy transition. Mm-hmm. And equity is the answer. And this platform, this place that we've created in the industry, this space is where we want to have those difficult conversations. We want to have those trusted relationships. And so you can learn more about the work that we're doing in our academy with Shantara and others. So one of the things I did that was intentional to be an ally was to say, how can I open my world to worlds that may not have access? Entrepreneurs, people who are doing amazing work like you and others in our academy that can help companies move forward. How can we move from PowerPoints and models and slides and uh, fluff, (laughs) guess is what it is, to real conversations, to action, to giving organizations tools to be successful, while also obviously contributing to women and minority-owned businesses. And so this is a new offering. We have an academy. And the academy spans from individuals, right? You work with individuals on to groups, to organizations. And so I want to encourage you guys, go to the website, check us all out, go read more. We will be adding faculty and services through the Ally platform. And these listening sessions, these kind of town halls like we've done today, you know, the few I know I've done and the ones we've done together have really opened some doors. So we want to make sure organizations know that we're here to to help to help do this. And what else do we want to tell folks before I forget? I mean, you mentioned it, you know, these types of conversations that town halls, what did you call them? Town halls, fireside chats. What are we doing? Listening sessions. Exploring experiences, all of these types of things. This is the stuff that, this is what causes change. And obviously we're working with you and we're working with others, but I'm so glad that we're able to bring this unique, awkward space (laughs) to energy. I like, you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, the one thing that you have here that I haven't seen in a lot of places is that ask anything. I love that. Yeah. I love to be able to, you know, because some people don't know what they don't know. And to be able to say, I just need a session where I can ask whatever. Ask anything. Yeah. Anything. I love that because 
Sometimes you don't want to go through a full workshop yet. Sometimes you don't want to raise your hand in a town hall, but you want to be able to go and sit and have like a quick one-on-one and be like, am I stupid? (laughs) Because I think blah, 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 blah. And so that that provides that opportunity for that. So yeah, that's one that I felt like was really innovative to be there of an ask anything moment. No, I would, you know what? So all of our coaches, you can ask anyone, anything you can go and you can buy time. So go buy some time, have a conversation. We'd love to help organizations who are looking to have listening sessions like this, but I encourage you go out here and look at this. Okay. Go look at our council. For instance, we have over 50 companies involved in our work. Okay, companies in oil and gas, companies in renewables, companies in the power industry. Let this be a place to consume and create great conversations. And this is just the first of many. So thank you so much for your time today, Shantara. I really, really appreciate it. Check out Shantara, connect with Shantara on the platform. Anything else you want to say before we go? No, just I want thank you for being open-minded. Thank you, Katie, for being open-minded, for having these conversations and putting it out there for people to see, but also for people listening and participating. Thank you for, you know, having that courage because this is courageous work. These are courageous conversations. And I look forward to connecting with any of you, every every one of you on LinkedIn and uh, even in the Ally platform. If you have questions, I'm here. Great. Thank you so much, Shantara. I know I'll see you soon and I hope to see everyone soon. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye.